Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Troll, recording on a Monday. What? We switch recording days. That means podcasts might be coming to you a little early this week and next week. And the next week, we've got a few changes here around the show that we announced last week. One of which we didn't. The one that we didn't announce was the day change. The one we did announce was producer Sam has moved on. She's in a better place now. Um, she hasn't passed away or anything. She just did, she just uh, wanted to be in a better place. Uh, so <laughs> we here at Forte Catholic are now going to have a rotating group of co-hosts because Lord knows nobody wants to just hear my voice. So with us this afternoon is as as uh, as my friend AJ here said Taylor's second favorite priest Father Anthony Sharapa Father Anthony how are you buddy I'm doing well but I thought the question of whether or not I was your first favorite or second favorite priest was still like up in the air has this been declared when I was away It it was not been declared while you were I didn't say it was definitive I just said it's what AJ said Well AJ needs to shut his mouth <laughs> Welcome to Forte Catholic with with a loving in persona Christi priest. Thank you so much for joining us, Father Anthony. I'm happy to be here. Um, AJ is trying to mute you currently as we go. He's threatening to. So, uh, <laughs> Father Anthony, I went on a re- a retreat this weekend up in North Texas, and there were five kids there. And this is an interesting thing because you think. You know, it's like the cool retreats are the ones where you get a ton of people there. And uh, the youth minister that the youth ministers that it, it was like a group of them that was supposed to bring people in. Only one of the youth ministers brought kids. It was five of them. We went and I, I promise you, it was like the one of the coolest retreats I've ever been on. So like focused and simple and restful, not only for the students who were there, but also for like even for me and the guy who was actually leading the retreat. So. Uh, what's been a, like a favorite retreat experience for you? Actually, um, as far as helping out with retreats, um, there's a lot of youth ministers in my diocese and they get together the weekend before Thanksgiving. So there's like 300 some kids and it's all these like really on fire youth ministers who put together this big program. And I started going to it when I was in high school. Now I'm going back to give a talk as a priest in a couple of weeks now. So We just call it the fall retreat, but it's excellent. Just a lot of good people, and uh, it's really well run. You got Eucharistic Adoration, all the good staples, and that retreat has a special place in my heart, and it always has, always will be. It's a special place for people to fall in love with Jesus, one might say. Yeah, look at that. (laughs) Oh, man. AJ tried to play the sound effect of the bad laughing, and and, uh, in saying that I messed up, he messed up. So, uh, tit for tat there, buddy. So, at this retreat, my role at this retreat was to be the worship leader. So I was there to do the music, lead people in prayer. But uh, Everett Fritz, who's been on the show before, uh, was the guy that was running it, the guy that invited me to come. He wanted a little bit more time to prep his morning talk. So he said, Taylor, when, uh, when you come in, can you do some uh, like icebreaker type things? And I was like, sure, that'll be nice for you know five people. I don't think they need to break the ice. Like These are all like five of their closest friends or super <laughs> right. into their faith. Yeah. at their church, but I was like, okay, let's do something a little different. We had just done this, uh, this maze thing. Oh, before I, before I did that, every time I get in front of a group of people, I, I immediately want to decide how smart they are. 
usually we play, play some kind of trivia game and then I tell the group as a whole that they're not very bright. Um, so this time we didn't do that, but I, wait, 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 wait. do you do this more like for them or more for you? So you just feel more confident being sm- the smartest guy in the room. So you know how like you're supposed to win over a crowd at the beginning. Like, I mean, when you start your homily, you're supposed to, you know, but you're supposed to be like a friendly guy. You're supposed to, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. say something catchy or say something like uh, provocative or say something interesting at the beginning of your homilies. Then you kind of got them, right? Um, yeah, a hook. Yeah, a hook. So instead of doing a positive hook, which is like what most speakers do, I do the negative hook and I just make fun of people, <laughs> right? Whatever I start. <laughs> and it tends so, yeah. to work. Well, it's the, I sometimes do that too, but it totally backfired on me just the other day. Oh, no. So we, I, was visiting, we, <laughs> I was visiting these eighth graders, and they were t- doing a tour of my church. And this is the first time I had met any of them. And so I just walked in the church, turned on the lights. They were just in the pews. I was like, what's up, losers? And they all just stared at me like I was the worst person ever. I was like, oh, that, that backfired. Maybe I should have done something a little different. So it took me a while to win them back after just coming out of the gate insulting them. But <laughs> This one didn't backfire. It actually ended up being like the greatest setup for a continual joke throughout the entire weekend, which proves once and for all that I'm a better leader than you. So here's what happened. I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> We're just going to let that one go really quickly. Um, so I had them – I wanted – instead of individually – singling them out. I, w- I asked all of them on a scale of one to 10, how smart of a group do you think you are? And we went through, there's five of them. One said like 6.8, one said seven, one said four, one said three. I was like, wow. Uh, and then another one said like right in the middle, like five or six. And then I like, I never plan any of this stuff. Like this is all just off the cuff. And I was like, okay, next yeah. question. Thinking I know what the answer is going to be. I say, next question, what is your personal contribution to that? And before we start, does everybody remember the number that people said about the group? Thinking that all of them were calling their friends dumb, you know, like like that their uh. personal contribution is a nine, but the group is a seven, you know, say that essentially at least somebody's a four, <laughs> you know, something like that. So every single one of them said a lower number. I was baffled by that. Every single one of them said like their personal number was lower than the group. So they all thought higher of the others than themselves. And I was like, wow, this would not be my answer at all. I think I contribute to the smartness of every group of people I've ever been in. So I was like really kind of impressed by this group of young people. Totally off put by how humble and kind they were. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to do next. So, (laughs) <laughs> I, I literally just wanted to move into the game. Like I was just laughing. I was like, that's actually hilarious because I'm super prideful and I would have never have said that. But apparently y'all are really humble. But then we got the real answer. They were right. They were not very smart as a group. They proved oh, that. Man. <laughs> they proved that. So here, here's what I did. Essentially, all I wanted to do, like just kind of a sneak, behind, a look behind the curtain is... I got to that retreat and we had a lot of setup to do and I like had to set up a projector screen that took forever because we had to do like a makeshift one out of uh, like tax and a wall and a bed sheet because there was no projector screen. So that took a lot longer than I expected. We had to set up some other stuff, reset up the room a few times. So I didn't have time to set up this game which is essentially a maze. You send these students through a maze of, of five. It's a five by five sheet, sheet, five by five sheets of paper. I 
had not set it up. So all I told them was, all right, guys, here's, here's 25 or here, here's a, here's a set of paper. I gave them very simple expressions. I gave them like a ream of paper and I said, go over there and set up a five by five, uh, square or rectangle, you know, like essentially getting to the point that it's all a square. Right. And I asked them to go set it up. What do you think happened next? I would hope that they were able to put the sheets of paper into a square. Okay. What do you, when I say a five by five, uh, like five by five layout of paper, mm-hmm. and I cha- if I handed you a ream of paper, what would you do with like what would it look like in your mind? Uh, I would like roll out the ream of paper and like what rip it and then roll equal length and then just kind of put them next to each other and make a square. Am I totally off here? Okay. R- I think you need to understand what a ream of paper is. <laughs> this is not is it going. Like a roll. Is no. a ream not a roll? No, like uh, sheets of paper. Have you ever watched That's a The stack Office? Of paper. Are you talking about like a stack of paper? Yes. Uh, that that is a ream. No, it's a stack. You're a stack. <laughs> <laughs> so you had pieces of papers like like on top of each other. Like, have you ever seen a printer? Yes, printer paper. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're telling me that's a ream? Yes. I'm pretty Maybe I'm not smarter than these kids because I'm already confused. Like I literally just looked it up because I have been known to make mistakes with words on this show. Uh this time I am not wrong. I just looked up ream of paper and all I see is a stack of computer paper. That is what a ream of paper is. So okay. Uh agree to disagree, (laughs) but we can move on. No, you're wrong. And this isn't even the point of that, because I, I didn't even say ream of paper to them. I just handed them a stack of paper, which is also known as a ream, buddy. Okay. <laughs> so I, I give them this paper. And so there are individual sheets. How would you set up a five by five setup of uh, paper with individual yeah. sheets? So just have them like a five across and then five up and down and then... Like a box. Uh, Absolutely. Like, that's exactly right. I, okay, good. You're not smarter than me, but you're smarter than these high school students. I'm very okay. proud of you. I'll take it. <laughs> so I handed them this the paper, and I said, make five by five. Literally, I remind you, this was just because I didn't have time to set it up. It took them 20 minutes. Me, their group leaders, Everett Fritz, we are all just like dying laughing because they're they're staring at us like they're trying to figure out like five feet by five feet which is like okay it's like i get it that's kind of fair right five by five could mean five feet by five feet uh like they were taking this kid who was five four and they were (laughs) measuring out the pieces of paper they were cutting off individual pieces of paper to cut off like the four inches that he is over five feet and then they ended up like we were just laughing, laughing, laughing. So they stopped and they just like argued about it for a while. And then they ended up making like a five foot by five foot square, but it was hollow. So like okay, it, yeah. it was literally just the square. And we're dying. We stared at them for 20 minutes. Like they gave up at some point. And finally, I just go over and set it up and they go, oh, that's what you meant? <laughs> like it was, it was Okay. <laughs> okay. Like I get it. But also like using the five foot four kid as like a measuring 
Like, Stick is low-key brilliant, in my opinion. That is, that's some excellent problem-solving right there. Like uh, I said, I you're, you're closer to the group of this kids than you are to me. We've proven that already. <laughs> so, so. I would be so proud of them. Like, you guys are great problem-solvers. God loves them. <laughs> and that's kind of the point. Like, I get this from when I worked as a counselor at a camp. Like, every time we would... Have you ever done a low-ropes course, Padre? I have not. Okay. You need to. <laughs> I feel like you'd enjoy it. Have you done high okay. ropes? I've done no no ropes. No, no ropes. ropes. You you need to find some. You need to go find a ropes course. Do it with like some of the kids in your youth group or something. Like it's it's a blast. So essentially, it's the same kind of idea. Like you don't give all of the instructions on purpose. You give very clear and simple instructions, but you don't answer all the questions. Like even if they come up with questions after. And essentially, what these kids did, and what a lot of kids do when they do low ropes courses is they make it more complicated than it needs to be. Like essentially they got together as a group and they decided, they made it very, very complicated. They started measuring, they started like using all these things and it was just like hilarious. And then because it was complicated, they ended up like coming to a standstill and essentially giving up. And a lot of this, like a lot of this is done kind of on purpose at these summer camps. Cause it's like, okay, how did we work together as a team? How did we actually listen to instructions? You know, there's all kinds of, of implications there. So what I started thinking about like about an hour later is I feel like I'm those kids a lot when it comes to like living out my faith. I feel like the life of Christ is, can be complicated, but can also be very simple. And I feel like so often I get stuck in like, Oh, I need to work on this one little part of my, this like ancillary part of my spiritual life in order to be holy. But then I, I focus so much on that, that I forget that the main thing is love God, love your neighbor. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So here's, we're going to, we're going to have a test. I'm going to put you through uh, the ringer. Do you know what that means? Or do we explain that as well? (laughs) It's, it's the same thing. You said same thing twice. Yeah, Reem. Put through a test, uh, ringer. Yeah, I got it. There you it. go. Okay. So explain to me in very simple terms, but also like enticing. Like you love the city of Pittsburgh. Explain to me simply the city of Pittsburgh and why I should love it. Pittsburgh is the best city in the world. Okay. That was very simple, simple but not enticing. I don't believe okay. you. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll try again. I'll try again. I'll try again. Pittsburgh is a big city with a small town feel to it. There you go. That that I'm from a small town, but I always wanted to be in a bigger town. Like that wins me over. Um, hockey. <laughs> Do the same thing with hockey. Ah. Um, hockey is where a bunch of Canadians get very angry at a puck and hit it with sticks. Please watch your language and Canada isn't real. So um, other than that, it was pretty good. Um, why did you become a priest? Because Jesus asked me to. <laughs> uh, and now this is a little inside joke for me and you. Explain a sacrament. A sacrament. <laughs> a sacrament is how God ordinarily gives um, saving grace. There you go. I'm very proud of you. You've gotten better at that answer. So, <laughs> so uh, like, explain, this is, all of this is to get to this one question for you. Explain to me the Catholic faith and why I should give my life to Christ and his church. 
Ugh, to do that in a simple way. Okay. Um, you are far away from God. <laughs> okay. And God wants you to be close. I think that's like a really, really simple way to explain like why we do this. Because we are far away from God because of our sin. God loves us and wants to bring us close. There you go. I'm actually proud of you because at first you kept going. If you would have stopped there, I would have, I would have uh, reamed into you. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Because at first I was like, wow, that's kind of rude. Like that's how you, that's how you want to do it. But then you explained it. And it's exactly what we're talking about earlier in the show. Like you said something provocative that caught my attention and I was absolutely engaged. And then you explained it in further detail. And I, I love that balance between the, the simple and then drawing me in and then now you have me, right? Like you have my, my attention and then you can go deeper. So yeah. um, any final thoughts on that before we head over to our second segment for the day? I can always tell that I'm making my prayer life too complicated when I'm bringing like five books with me into prayer. If I'm bringing like all these like theological books with me into prayer, I re- I, I realized like I need to settle down, put all the books away and just be in prayer with just me and Jesus. So that's like my uh, litmus test to see if I'm making things too complicated in my life. That's very practical. Thank you. For, yeah. for, for me, it's just whenever I'm forgetting that the most important thing is to love God and to love those around me. Whenever I start focusing on other stuff other than that, without that being the backbone of it, then I know that I'm messing up. So, uh, guys, keep it simple. The old kiss method. Uh, keep it simple, silly. And we'll go with that one. Um, guys, we'll be right back with uh, maybe the coolest monk in the entire world. Father Augustine Weta talking about his new novel. We'll be right back. to Forte Catholic. I am your host, Taylor Schroll, joined today by co-host Father Anthony Serapa, and we have got a whole different priest, a monk, in fact, rejoining the show. He came on a while back to talk about his book, Humility Rules. He is he's everybody's favorite monk, Father Augustine Weta, who is coming to us from his high school classroom with high school students in it. How are you doing this afternoon, Father Augustine? I'm doing really well. They were my students were dancing to your theme music just now. <laughs> I had to I had to suspend three of them. <laughs> they don't know who they are yet. Everybody say hello, Mr. Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> this is they're seventh graders uh, a little you know, we've gone behind the curtains a few times the last few weeks a little behind the curtains right before we came on the air uh you were talking to your students you were preparing them for a test you were saying a lot of words that none of us understood i hope that they understood it better than we did they're right over my head didn't get stuck in my hair because i don't have any uh, and then you were like threatening demerits if they talked during the show and then the first thing you did was ask them to talk during the show it must be very confusing for <laughs> yeah, I delight in confusing my students. <laughs> I, they they frequently. I I gave a kid a demerit the other day, and he said, "I thought monks were supposed to be nice." And I explained to him that Attila the Hun ravaged Europe and didn't attack a single monastery, and it wasn't because the monks were nice. 
<laughs> we're the only we're the only religious order that has a rule for what we're to do with our swords. What so, is what? You, what's the rule for what you should do with your swords? He said Saint Benedict says you shouldn't sleep with it because you might roll over and stab yourself. <laughs> that is sound that advice. Is, very sound that's advice. An excellent rule. Very practical. I have never. I have. Ne- I'm. I'm glad to say I have never disobeyed that part of the rule. Although I did once sit on a scissors that I left in my bed, and that was painful. Now, I now have another follow-up <laughs> question: Is the correct term "I sat on scissors" or "a scissors"? I'm really not sure. I don't know. Do you have a pants? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one pantaloon. Hey, another story I can tell you. We have a, a camp, a summer camp called Monk Camp, and every kid gets a different uh, errands to run. And I put one kid in charge of washing the clothes. He comes up from the basement at the end of the camp. He, he was in charge of washing everybody's clothes, and he says, "Father, I know you're not supposed to wash lights and darks together, right?" And I was like, "Oh no." He's like, "No, I didn't do that." But is it okay to wash shirts and pants together? <laughs> I was like, "Wilson." Well, are you afraid all your shirts are going to come out shaped like pants if you try them? <laughs> but anyway, later I saw him pushing the... They, they wanted the keys to the riding lawnmower, which I wouldn't give them. And I looked out the window, and there are three kids pushing a riding lawnmower, chasing a fourth kid. It was like the whole world <laughs> slowed down for like 30 seconds while I screamed, No! <laughs> you weren't even listening to the first segment of the show because there's no way for you to because we're pre-recording and you were in class. But a theme of today's episode is becoming high school students are both very brilliant and very not all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with very not. One of them is dabbing right now. He's dabbing. Have you ever dabbed? I actually dabbed on EWTN as a dare. <laughs> dared me to dab on life on the rock and i did Did, so yes i have dabbed once did the host know that you were going to dab i asked his permission actually i said is it all right if i dab and he did i don't think he knew what it was (laughs) but he said go right ahead is that in line with church teaching sir secret meaning (laughs) that's like the weirdest the kids assure me that there's a horrible secret meaning to it so oh well Oh, you'll you'll be fine. I think we'll all be okay. So you uh, you so. you mentioned Saint Benedict. You are a Benedictine monk. We got to know you uh, whenever we interviewed you for Humility Rules, and now you have another book. Speaking of high school students, that you wrote with them in mind, and we actually heard you talking to your class today about Gilgamesh and all these great legends. So why don't you explain to us what the Eighth Arrow is? Well, the the. Uh... Ten-second explanation is it's a prison breakout set in Dante's Inferno. Uh, Odysseus and his best friend Diomedes decide they're going to fight their way out of hell. They pray to the Parthenos, the virgin who he thinks is Athena, and we all know who the virgin really is, who appears to him and gives him his armor back, and they, uh, well, they have to get through, face a bunch of monsters and levels of hell and their own dishonor and their own mistakes and Eventually, Satan himself in the big final battle. Spoiler alert. You're supposed to give a spoiler alert before you give it. (laughs) Uh, Through the the wonders of modern editing, I could, if you'd like me to, go back and take where you say spoiler alert and add it to the beginning of the interview with absolutely no context, if you'd like. No worries. I don't think it's really going to spoil anything. At any rate, my whole class is reading the book, or going to read the book, and... If I spoiled it, I spoiled it for all of them. 
One of them once told me the end of an Agatha Christie novel as I was reading it, so I'll just call it even. Payback, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Nothing like a yeah. monk getting payback, right? We all love a good monk yeah. payback story. So uh, it's this yeah. it's this prison break. And, and to be honest, when I was in high school, I didn't do any of my assigned reading. So I didn't read the Iliad. I didn't read the Odyssey. I didn't read Dante's Inferno. So you have taken all these great characters, and I'm guessing that there's no copyright infringement since they've been dead for quite some time. Did you worry about that at all as you were writing this new novel? Well, I didn't worry about it as I was writing it, but I, but I did worry about it as I was publishing it. And it turns out that uh, we're we're in pretty good shape. I gave attribution to all the quotes and and things that I copied. You can you can copy lots of other people's works before it becomes plagiarism. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I think as much as three pages even without having to pay them. Uh, but yeah, not just the Iliad and the Odyssey, but. Milton and Spencer and Gilgamesh, or sorry, the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Epic of Beowulf, and even some modern writers like Tom Wolfe. And uh, I think uh, there's a couple of quotes from uh, Mark Twain in there. And pretty much anything we read in my English class, it makes an appearance as an Easter egg somewhere in the book. But there's a little guide at the very end to all the little quotations and uh, quotes in the, in the middle of the book. That that said, my very first agent, literary agent that I got, um, God bless him, he, he he was Jewish, and so he didn't understand any of the Dante or the Catholic references. And I was lucky, because he kept saying, you know, you can have as many hidden messages as you want, but this has got to be a good story. Uh, and he kept insisting to come back, that I come back to the story. Because as a teacher, I love hiding secret meanings and, you know, things I can test kids over. But if it's not a good story, there's no reason to read it. Yeah, it's got to be, it's, it's got to be enticing. We were talking about that in the, in the first uh, segment that yes, there's truths that the church has, but they, we have to put them in interesting ways. And I think you do that. You did that in your first book for sure. And you're doing that here again. I know that you've worked on this for quite some time. I was pretty impressed when I heard it. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, when you started writing this book? Well, I, I'm actually a big fan of an atheist children's author named Philip Pullman. I don't necessarily recommend his books for everyone. Uh, because you have to be kind of sophisticated theologically to sort out the truth from the fiction. But um, he's he's a great writer. He he re envisioned Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, the the angels that lost uh, and the, decide they're going to regroup and start the battle up again. And it's just a great idea, and it has armored bears and balloonists and all kinds of things in this alternative universe. Um, anyway, I hiked out. He, I found out he lived near Oxford, and I was there studying theology. So I hiked out to his house. It turned out to be a lot longer, farther away than I thought. Uh, and I arrived all sweaty and, and a mess. Knocked on his door, and he answered the door, and he said, "Who are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm a monk, and I love your book, <laughs> and I was just, <laughs> I was just hoping you'd sign it for me." And he said, "How did you get here?" And I said, "I walked." And he said. From where? <laughs> and I told him, he said, come in. And uh, he made me, uh, uh, well, first a glass of water and then a dandelion cordial, and then we had tea. And I stayed all afternoon, and we talked about Dante and Virgil and Homer and Milton and Spencer and William Blake. William Blake's in the book, too. Um, and finally, I said, you know, you should write a book 
set in Dante's Inferno. That would be really cool. And he said, no, you should write a book set in Dante's Inferno. And I said, I will. And we've been in touch ever since. And I ended up dedicating the book to him. So he's been really kind to me. So atheist or not, I think he's a good man at heart. So even though he's an atheist, he definitely gets the Catholic principle of if you have a good idea, uh, you have to do it. Like no one else is going to do it. Hey, this sh- this should be better about the mass, or this should be better about youth ministry. It's like ain't nobody going to do it except for you. So he's got that going That's for him. Right. Yeah, and so that was fourteen years ago, and I've been rewriting it ever since. So I'm pretty pretty glad to see it in print at long last. Yeah, congr- but, you congratulations. Know, about, thanks. Yeah, about ten years ago, my my agent dumped me. And I turned, or no, no, wait, it was the mining, well, somebody, I can't remember what happened. I I went through three different agents, but at one point, um, I went to Philip Pullman. I was like, you know, I think I'll just self-publish this. You know, I just want it out of here. And he looked at me and he said, the last thing the world needs is another mediocre fantasy. Like you, you keep rewriting this until it's right. And that was a great piece of advice, too. The world does not need more mediocre literature. I hope I haven't contributed to this. <laughs> to the fact, the fact, I mean, the reason I, I wrote it was because I just got so tired of this watered-down Tolkien that people are serving up. You know, this Olgar is a dwarf of the seven hills of Snowgrass, you know, with the crystal <laughs> sword of the mountain of doom and the elves of the dark wood. And the princess of the ogres. <laughs> the princess of the ogres. I think that's in Shrek. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm <laughs> sort of winging it here. <laughs> Shrek isn't that bad, though. I kind of like Shrek. <laughs> This is why I love interviews with you. Like, I I did not plan on Shrek coming up whatsoever, and somehow it fit perfectly. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it surprised me. <laughs> so I, I'm Father Augustine. Father Augustine, this sounds yeah. all fascinating, but there's this question in the back of my mind that keeps bothering me. So you wrote this book, right? Uh, I I hope so. Yes, and you're going to make yeah, the sorry, students read the book. Yeah, yeah. you make the students read the book. No, the students they're going to read it, right? Yes. Are you wondering about the ethical implications of forcing my students to buy something that I'm selling? I'm not saying it sounds like an elaborate scheme, but it sounds a little bit like an elaborate scheme. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. I don't and, know who Ponzi is, but he would be proud. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm hoping to then collect the books and resell them to the next group that comes through. Oh, it's brilliant. I'm joking. No, I'm not. But, but well, <laughs> the, the, uh, the labor deserves his wages. Right? I, mean, I, did, I did write it for them, and I actually, uh, in, well, I prefer to sow scandal, but since you asked me straight up, I also lend the book to the kids who don't want to buy it, but they got to give it back. Oh, that's nice. Do you tell them that before <laughs> you offer the buying? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, you know what? I I never know who where the, any of this money comes or goes because I don't draw a paycheck. I haven't seen. I haven't paid taxes since '94. <laughs> so. <laughs> the other day, I was uh, I was telling somebody. Uh, I should get on a plane. What's that? Seventy dollars, eighty dollars? And they're like, "Are you kidding?" So I have no concept of money. I mean, last time I bought a car was in two thousand. 
I just want to make sure that people understand. I got your joke, but do you want to explain it for the people? Like, you're not being uh, like a certain famous person who also is avoiding pay, fame, paying his taxes. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I own nothing. The monks of St. Louis, if I want a toothbrush, I have to ask permission and get a, the monastery credit card. But actually, I don't even do that. There's a monk who goes and buys everything for us. So There you go. I just yeah, wanted to no, protect I, you from that so people weren't calling like, we heard it on Catholic Radio, there's a priest not paying taxes. It's like, yes, it's because he's a monk and he doesn't have anything to pay for or with. So Yeah, it's true. I, don't, I have nothing of my own. In fact, um, anything that we have that's given to us to use, we have to write ad usum and then our name for the use of. So nothing I have is my own. And I'm glad you, to have it that way. I thought you I said Odd that. Susan. I'm like, who is Odd Susan? Is that like the maid? I was very yeah. confused about who she was. She's a very strange Susan. No, it's A D U S U M, Odd Usum, for the use of. Gotcha. In Latin. Gotcha. All right, Father and Anthony, all, you got your question about uh, about uh, actual sellings of the book. Uh, we talked beforehand yeah. about uh, that. You you might have been a similar student to me and not reading of these things. And uh, do you have any questions for Father? Augustine that I haven't thought of because like as I interview I, I talk about the things I'm interested in what are you interested about the book um, I have no questions about the book I'm excited to <laughs> buy it Wow so I'm gonna buy it for my dad who likes reading these kind of things so father uh, father Augustine you did to, the perfect I, sales I pitch did my one I had my one investigative journalism question, and that was to make sure this was or was not a scheme, and I'm satisfied. So. <laughs> well, it is kind of a scam. I mean, it's, it's all – I keep waiting in one sense from the other shoot a drop with humility rules because I don't really have any, any original ideas of my own. Um, it's all sort of a mishmash of other people's stuff. Uh, the humility rules is just stuff that the old wise monks told me, and the the eighth arrow is just uh, a mishmash of other people's fantasy. But I think Tolkien would be proud of me for that. He he didn't believe in fantasy literature. He called it mythopoeia, uh, the the weaving together of other people's myths. And if you read the 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 the, uh, the Lord of the Rings, you'll see plenty of other references. I mean, Golgorath is the mountain that he has to climb, and Golgotha is the mountain that Jesus climbs, and all the names are from Greek and Norse mythology, so I, I feel okay plagiarizing the ancients. Yeah, it's, I, mean, they it's, all play, I mean... Shakespeare didn't write anything really original. All of his stories well, are I mean, other people's stories. Isn't that what we as, as, as Catholic priests do anyway? We never preach anything really original. We're just taking all the good stuff and repackaging it for people. I would hope so. Yeah, I, my advice to our younger monks is to never give an original sermon, at least not for the first 10 years. Just <laughs> plagiarize uh, John Chrysostom, John Cardinal Newman. Uh, there are plenty of great sermons out there that nobody ever hears that you might as well just translate into modern English and claim as your own. This is why I like having putting two priests together on the show, because this is stuff we would never hear about, and we're all just like, yeah, I haven't written a homily in 10 years. I haven't paid taxes in 14, you know? <laughs> so do you want the homily to be good, or do you want the homily to be original? Original. That's, that's your choice. Wow. So yeah. nothing new, there's nothing new under the sun, and if there was, it would be, be a bad homily. 
after <laughs> 2,000 years, what are the odds that you're going to say something that no one's ever heard before? Nothing, but I get to say a lot of it is first on Catholic radio. So, hey, it was great having yeah. you on, Father Augustine. I want people to go find the book, Father Augustine Weta, The Eighth Arrow. Go buy it. Uh, written for high school students, but it can be read by everybody. Thanks so much for coming on, and don't give a demerit to those kids. No, they all ran out of class. The bell just rang, so they're all home free anyway. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Great pleasure. All right, guys. We'll be right back for our final segment of the day. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Stroll. I'm joined by co-host today, Father Anthony Serapa. We just talked to our monk friend, Father Augustin Weta, about his book. Uh, go check it out. The Eighth Arrow. Search for it on Amazon, wherever your books are sold. Um, we are going to do um, a segment to this afternoon called Mass Text. AJ, I don't think you've been around for this one. Father Anthony, I don't think you've been around for this one. So mm-hmm. um, essentially what this is, we're going to talk about one of the daily readings, and it ha- actually happens to be this past Sunday. So AJ, why don't you go hit that thing that says Mass Text right there and get us started. Welcome to Mass Text, the segment where we go through the readings from today's Mass in case you couldn't make Mass today. Or you are in mass but found yourself daydreaming, telling your children to quiet down, or snoring quite loudly with people looking at you with their judging eyes. Through the scriptures, God sent the first mass text to all of his people so that he could share his love and wisdom with us. Sit back and relax as we dive into God's message to us today. So that is this. This is our mass text segment. What we do is we go through uh, the text from a recent mass, either a daily mass reading that you may or may not hear, or this last Sunday's reading, next Sunday's reading. This one we're focusing on this past Sunday's reading. So, like I do with most of these, I like to test the audience, and I'm the audience right now. None of them can hear me. So, Father Anthony, I'm going to test you. What was this oh, no. past Sunday's gospel reading? The past Sunday's gospel reading was from uh, Mark, and it was Jesus. It's like two parts of it. First part, Jesus is pointing out how the scribes and heresies are big old hypocrites. And then the second part is the little story with people uh, putting money into the treasury. But then the widow puts in the two small coins and Jesus is like, oh, man, she did such a good job because she paid from her poverty, not from her excess wealth. Yeah, absolutely. And it, what's funny is, I don't know if you did this on purpose or if I misheard you or if it was subconsciously perfect. You said the scribes and heresies. And it, I think I said Pharisees, it, but... AJ just confirmed it. He's shaking his head with me. I think subconsciously, you know that the Pharisees were hypocrites and therefore speaking heresy, so you called them the heresies. Uh, so we'll go with a a good mistake on that one then. That was yeah. You know, I think it was brilliant. I actually do. Your mistakes are very very smart. So <laughs> <laughs> only I could be smart on purpose, right? <laughs> exactly. You got what I was going for. I wasn't going to say it, but I knew you knew it deep in your heart. So, um, 
So, yeah, this first part, beware of the scribes who like to go around in their long robes, accept greetings in marketplaces, seats of honor in synagogues, places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows. That's intense. And as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers. They will receive a very severe condemnation. So uh, let's get a little insight into your homily. What was your point there on that first one? So I didn't really preach so much on this one. It was mostly the second half. But I will say this. When you're hearing about the condemnations for people who get honors, who wear long robes, who have tassels, and I'm reading this gospel with my very long, fancy robe. I've got tassels, <laughs> my belt, my cincture. You know, just today, someone paid for my meal when I went out to eat uh, to lunch. Like, you become very aware of, like, Jesus giving me the warning. Like, you better know what you're doing. You better not be a jerk because you will receive a very severe condemnation if you do. Yeah. Uh, where do you sit at all the banquets you're invited to for the church? Oh, I always sit at the head. Yeah, places of honor. Yeah, exactly. So I am very important. Yeah, and it's interesting because every time I hear this, like I, I, I get the obvious point of it, right? Like to be humble and to not ask for these things. Like I think of the par- a parable in a different place in the Gospels where Jesus says, don't sit at the head of the table because if you don't belong there, they'll kick you to the bottom. But if you're humble and you sit at the bottom and you get brought up to that seat of honor, then there's no, there's no wrong in that. So there's like, you know, there's the scale on both sides for those things. But I've always kind of thought about this. It's like, I think deep down, like I really want the seats of honor. Like I really like those. So this is always a reminder for me to be humble. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, I wanted to kind of, uh, have you share some of the parts from your homily? We'll get into the second part in a, in a minute, but the homily. So I, I went to mass twice this weekend because I'm super holy. Um, well, look I, at you. Well, I was, I beat you though. I went to mass <laughs> three times. Boom. Wow. You are just so holy. I was mm-hmm. forced to, I was only forced to go to the second one yet though. You were forced to go to all three. So there's gotta be something for me choosing to go. at some <laughs> <laughs> So bonus Jesus points for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm ahead 18 to 14 at this moment uh, <laughs> in the arbitrary points. Uh, welcome to Fort Catholic where everything's made up and the points don't matter. So um, the priest who, who gave the homily at this retreat that I was on was like, he was this a very interesting man. I liked him a lot. He was an older priest. You could tell he was just kind of like super, like go with the flow. Like as he was doing his, there's five, you know, five students and three leaders and this priest. So it's like, Masses are usually more chill um, at retreats, right? So he's given his homily, and he just kind of seemed like everybody's nice grandpa. And, you know, he would just, like, make one point and be like, oh, what else was I going to say? And he'd go get his notes off of the – like, we had, like, essentially a table that we put a cloth on to make the altar. And he picked up his notes like, oh, yes, it was this, right? And he started telling stories. So we talked earlier about, like, saying something provocative or your hook or something to get people enticed at the beginning of your homilies. What is your opinion on homilies that include, like, parables, like stories? Are they hokey? Are they helpful? What do you think? I th- I tend not to do them because they bother me. So I think for the most part, they tend to be a little hokey. But here's my, the big issue is this. Um, I, I would say to any priest, never tell a story like it happened to you if it didn't happen to you. And keep the story short. Those are my two things. That's fair. So you okay. say like, oh, I heard this story and then tell it. But don't tell it like it happened to you if it didn't, because that's lying. You shouldn't be lying when you're preaching the gospel. So that, those are my pet peeves. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, so I'll tell you the story. There was one of these stories that I thought was 
Uh, one of them was silly, and then one of them was more serious. And he used them kind of spread out through his homily. And usually, I, I'm I'm kind of on on your team, where it's like I think they're kind of silly or kind of hokey. But every now and then, it's nice to, you know, it'll connect to his message, or it'll just kind of like lighten up the mood or whatever. But anyway, yeah, they can be good. They can be good. Sure. So this one I really liked. Um, I think because I I saw my like I because of the pride that I struggle with and how like you know I'm listening to this gospel and Jesus is like you shouldn't like the place of honor. And I was like. Well, you're right, but I do. Uh, so <laughs> the priest shared this story about a man in an airport. Uh, I've shared many a terrifying airport story that is actually me. This one was not me. Just I just wanted to clarify that so you didn't despise me. So <clears throat> man goes into the airport and there's a long, there's a, the flight had been delayed. There's a long line. And this man, in this powerful business suit, like, you know, everybody's in line to go talk to uh, the stewardess or the, whatever they call the lady at the at the desk, right? The air air airline attendant. We'll go with that. He goes to talk with her. He cuts in line. Nobody says anything, and he says, "I need to be on this next flight. Like I have something somewhere I need to be, and it needs to be first class." And the you know the flight attendant's like, "Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Like the the plane is full. We're delayed. It's not going to happen." And he said uh, something that I think, uh, you know, some people might say. He's like, do you even know who I am? So she gets on the little, like, microphone that they have at the terminal. And she said, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there is a man here at the desk. Uh, he, he's, he doesn't know who he is. He's forgotten his name. And I just want to see if anybody can help him. And I thought that was, like, the greatest comeback. I was so proud of that stewardess or whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever. I was so proud of her. Like, that's a brilliant response to somebody being super prideful, you know? Mm -hmm. so yes, I, I, the humble it, smackdown. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it spoke to me because, yeah, like, I'm, I don't think I'm as bad as this guy was. But... I feel like like I needed to hear that story. It's like so. I was like Taylor, you're not as important as you think you are, um, and it, it and you're actually making yourself look really stupid when you do that. So that was the lesson that I took out of that first half. This yeah, I agree. So really, the I mean, the lesson for myself is like never ever believe your own hype. As soon as you start believing your own hype, you're gonna look like a fool in front of everybody. So just relax. Chillax. Okay. So the second half, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, he sat down opposite the treasury, observed, uh, or Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in her two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than any of the other contributors to the treasury, for they have contributed from their surplus wealth, but she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. You said this is where your homily like made its home, and we've talked for a while that we want you we want to hear your homilies digitally. So here you go. This is your chance. Share, speak, uh, yeah. inspire us. So Challenge us. Whenever you talk about your homily, it never sounds as good as the actual homily. That sounds like a cop-out. It is. Uh, it's a caveat, cop-out, all those things. But my point of the homily was it is from our utter nothingness, from our emptiness, that God works miracles in our lives. There are so many things that we hold on to. And if we're holding on to all these things, whether it's our um, pride, whether it's control, whether it's our wealth, whatever it is, Jesus Christ will always be off to the side. But when we realize that all these things are actually nothing, when we give them to God, when we allow ourselves to be 
as empty as we actually are. It's from that place that God works miracles, that God reveals himself, and that God sustains us. That was, in general, what my homily was about. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I was pretty proud, too. <laughs> You're welcome. So, uh, I've always, as a missionary, like, this story means a lot to me because there are a lot of people, like, we, myself, AJ, uh, we receive our sustenance. Like, all of the money that we receive is from people donating to us monthly or, or donating, uh, donating to us to, on, on a one-time or yearly basis. And there are there are so many people, like, I have great people who have a ton of money who who are very generous with me, and I'm very thankful for them. And then I also have people, like, on the other side that don't have much money but give also very sacrificially. And I'm thankful for all of them. And I think both, like, financially, yes, like, we're supposed to tithe. But also, like, spiritually, it's like, I don't, I don't think... I think I'm closer to the first guy than the second than this than the poor old lady. Like, you know, I, I don't know how I sh- how I how mo- how much of a like a poor old lady I should be, but in this <laughs> case, I think it's a good thing. It's like, am I giving everything to God or am I just giving a, a portion? And I think I'm probably closer to that guy. Yeah. So here's the thing: like, we can't hide our hearts from God. So we can we can hide a lot of stuff, but we can't hide what's really in our hearts. So, for example. Um, Remember when that lottery was like a million bajillion dollars a few weeks ago? Yes. If you're like me, the first thing you do is think about how you would spend that money. And if you're like me, the first thing you do is say, oh, of course I would give like $10 million to the church. No, I would give, I, I'm much holier than you. I would give my 10% because I'm a good to Catholic. 10 Wait, million was like know, nothing. I don't know numbers. I'm a <laughs> theologian, okay? You're a theologian. <laughs> Good joke. But you can see how easy that is to do, how easy it is to imagine ourselves being generous. But if we search our hearts and ask God to help us search our hearts, what's the one thing that's going to be painful to give up? And that thing, whenever it is, that's what we are too attached to. That's the thing that's keeping us from opening our hands to God. So if that's a money amount, if that's control, whatever else it is, I think it's it's that that God is looking for. Are you willing to give up? everything, the thing that you hold most dear, that you may receive God. Good homily. I'll give you a solid high five for that one. Um, the, the last thing that came up this weekend, we have about four minutes left, and I, I wanted to run this by you, and I think there's some interesting points, and also it might ruffle some feathers, but um, it's this idea that I heard from a sociologist, not Catholic. Um, so what I'm just going to ask for your initial kind of response to it, just here in this very simple sentence. Ideas survive not because they are true, but because they are interesting. What do you think? Okay, I'm going to give you the really annoying answer. The answer is yes and no. Yeah, I agree. So why yes? Okay, yes, um, in the sense that... So I think the truth, the deepest truths are always interesting. So... Yeah, there's some like truths that aren't terribly interesting, like I'm talking to you via a microphone on the internet. That's not terribly interesting. But I think like the deepest truths of our faith, the more you dive into them, the more captivating they are. So like truth is also beautiful. It's also good. It's interesting. So in that understanding of it, I think it's true. But if you're gonna say like like because lies, like really elaborate lies, those go by the wayside all the time. Like they, those like rise and fall in history. Heresies come and go. They rise and they fall. So they're interesting, but they never have a lot of lasting power. 
I think the truth of our faith is something that has always been sustained and has always captivated hearts. So that's my opinion on all that. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was interesting because I don't believe that it's true as a statement by itself because I think that would get into relativism. You know, like ideas yeah. survive because they're interesting, not because they're true. I think that truth is truth. And like the truths of God, the truth is, truths of the church um, are always true um, even if they're boring, which I think a lot of times like the truths of the, of the, of the faith are shared in a boring way. But right. so I think, shared, yeah. yeah, I think on a subjective level, not objective, objective, I think it's wrong. Subjectively, I think that many people walk away from things that are true, walk away from the truths of the church because they're not shared in an interesting manner. They're not mm-hmm. uh, within the mass, within homilies, within CCE, within youth ministry, within their RCIA classes, that sort of thing. So I think they walk away from things that are true because they aren't interesting. That was the big thing that kind of stuck out to me from that. Yeah, and that's a real shame, too, the more and more you think of it, because people who walk away when the truth is spoken poorly, now there's like this damper or this like fog or this stain on the truth, because when they hear it again, they're immediately going to remember, oh, well, this this didn't mean anything for me before. I'm not going to really listen now. So it's it's like really painful. Um, it's a shame that when we when we speak the truth without charity or without enthusiasm or without, yeah, especially without love. Uh, you do a lot of damage to the truth. Absolutely. Well, hey, that wraps up our conversation. I think we had a great conversation here in your first uh, appearance as co-host of the show. Thanks for coming on. I think it was thoroughly okay, but I was happy to do it. You are thoroughly okay as a priest. That uh, That's not me saying that. That is what you say in your Twitter bio. I will be yep. back next week. You'll be back next month. Uh, next week, I will be with uh, co-host... Allison Sullivan and interviewing the one and only Chris Stefanik. I'm real excited, guys. We'll be back next week. Say it! Hey, friends, it's Taylor. It's almost Thanksgiving, and I am thankful for you listening, for sticking with me through this entire journey of Forte Catholic. Hey, uh, one thing that you can do if you are thankful for the show that you just listened to, and if you're still listening at this point, you've gotten this far, so why not... Head over to iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give the show a review. It'll take 30 seconds, and I will be truly thankful. It helps other people to find the show. You're awesome. Keep listening. Share with your friends. Let them know that you love making Catholicism fun again with us here at Forte Catholic. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a blessed week. Peace.